2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. Say, God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly. Now, that's what we want. We want to be blessed. We want to, we want to have great health this year. Nobody wants to just have average health. Nobody wants to say, you know, I just hope I can keep breathing, you know, in 2019. No, nobody wants average health. We want blessed health. Nobody wants average finances. Well, I hope I can pay the bills this year. No, no, nobody wants that. Everybody wants to be blessed abundantly. When it comes to relationships, well, I want to have maybe a couple of loser friends this year. Maybe you've already got that this year. I, I don't know. But, but nobody wants that. Everybody wants to have a great marriage, great kids. We want to be blessed. And we don't want someone to be blessed. We want to be blessed what? Uh, abundantly. And our God is able to bless you abundantly. So in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. This is, this is what God's wired within us. There's more. There's a greater capacity. When you ask yourself, why is there this unrest for more and greater and bigger, it's, it comes from your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father has wired you for greatness and for an abundance and for, for more in your life. And so every time you have this within you, I, I want to better this, I want a more this, I think it comes from your Heavenly Father. Now, I want to talk to you today about money. <sighs> okay? I didn't say giving. I said money. I want to talk about money. Because Jesus talks and the Bible talks more about money than any other topic. There's 2,352 verses just on money. If you do the math, there's more on money than heaven and hell combined. There's more verses on money than there is prayer and faith. So I want to talk about money, but I want you to take a deep breath. Ready? If you're a first-time guest, you go, I knew it. All they want's my money. I knew it. I knew it. You're going to be in for a treat this morning. I promise you. Okay? If not, you can have all my money. I'm just, I'll give it to you. There are two major extremes when it comes to this topic within Christendom. One is, if I could go all the way over there in the dark, in that far corner, and I could stick a flag in the dark over here, one is that if you are rich, that means God likes you. God, God likes you because you're rich. The other extreme, if we go on the other corner and stick a flag in that ground, is if you're in poverty and you have nothing, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. And, and, and both of these flags are so unfortunate and, and so unnecessary. Because the truth of the matter is, you have a race to run. And you have a lane that you're supposed to run your race in. Now, I, I, I can't tell you what to do with your money, nor will I. But my job is to help you run your race. And everybody in this room, we start the race and have a pace that's different than everybody else. There's probably 20 lanes, probably 20 different lanes when it comes to money. 
Some of you are one-talent people, some are two-talent people, some are five-talent people. We all are in a lane, and we all have a race to run, but we're not in the same lane, and we're not in the same race. Your race is not my race. My race is not your race. Everybody has a different race, and there's probably about 20 different lanes that we run in. Now, why is this so hard? Well, even in the church, I think we kind of do you a disservice, and I think it's well-intentioned. Good pastors, well-intentioned, take a verse of Scripture or a story or a parable and camp out on it, and we don't, like, have the whole collection. That's kind of funny. We don't have the whole um, piece of, of all the Scriptures on this. And I'd love to be able to do 2,352 verses today and talk about all of it, but those of you that are Patriot fans, you would miss the kickoff. We're not talking about the Colts, okay? I've moved on. I'm in mourning today. I have grief. Did you feel my pain yesterday? Oh, gosh, that was painful, painful. God bless them. So I want you to think about you have a race to run, and you have a lane within that that you're supposed to do. But the first thing you have to do is you have to solve the lordship issue. So one, one thing you have to solve before anything else. If, if you don't solve the lordship issue, you'll always be looking for loopholes about tithing. You'll always have great pain when it comes to integrity in business issues. And you won't understand the difference between your seed and your bread. And I want to talk about that today. Because there's a big difference between your bread and between your seed. But, but you really can't take this collection of passages. And by the way, if Jesus was your preacher, one-third of all Jesus' parables deal with stuff. If Jesus was your preacher, one-third of every, every, three, every three Sundays, he'd be preaching about money. And, and so Jesus knew that we need help with our lane. And we need help running our race. And if we can understand that your race is not my race, and your lane is probably not my lane. We might be in the same lane, but there's about 19 other lanes that we got to be able to figure out. And you've got to be able to run your race in your lane at your pace by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the first thing you got to solve, it's the whole lordship issue. Because Jesus is really clear, you can't serve two masters. And see, everybody has a Lord. Everybody has something or somebody that's Lord. And if it's not Jesus, it, it's something else. It could be money. It could be, it could be pleasure. It could be another religion. But everybody serves. It could be yourself. The Lord, could, the Lord of your life could, could be you. Now, the Bible is clear about this that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it would be a whole lot easier if you just made him Lord here on this earth. But, but everybody's got to solve the lordship issue or you'll be looking for loopholes when it comes to tithing. Now let's talk about that for just two minutes. I've heard for 35 years that we live under grace, not under law, therefore tithing doesn't apply anymore. Well, first of all, there's other things under the law that still apply. It says do not commit murder. That's under the law. Do not commit adultery. That's under the law. Honor your mother and your father. That's under the law. So there are things in the law that we still follow, right? But here's the deal. Tithing didn't start with the law. Tithing never started with Moses. 
Tithing started a thousand years before that with Abraham. And so every time I hear this argument that tithing is about the law and we're not under law, we're under grace, I'm going, you don't know history. It's a thousand years before Abraham tithed a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. And then I hear people say, well, Jesus doesn't mention tithing. You haven't read Matthew 23, 23. Go read Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, you should have practiced the former without neglecting the latter. And he's talking about you should have tithed, but you should have done more than that. It's about your heart. And Jesus is trying to get to people's heart when it comes to their stuff. Because Jesus knows it's not what you have. It's what has you. It's not what you own. It's what owns you. And so tithing is not the law. Jesus and Abraham talk about it extensively. If you don't solve the lordship issue, you'll always have integrity issues in business. You'll always have integrity issues in relation. You'll have great pain as you go through this life trying to navigate through integrity issues in life and in business. And you will make colossal mistakes and you will have great regret. And if you don't solve the lordship issue, you won't understand the difference between seed and bread. Here's what he says about seed and bread. God's able to bless you. That's our verse. We want to be blessed abundantly. And by the way, there are, there are a lot of non-believers who have resources and money and stuff. They're just not blessed. In your lane, if you want to be blessed and then blessed abundantly, you learn to do things God's way. So here, here's what he says about seed. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. These are all on your app. If you want to download your app and get it on your phone app, they're all, all these verses are in there. Now, we always talk about, I've preached probably 20 times on the last part of this. And about six months ago, I thought, seed and bread. I've never talked about seed and I've never talked about bread. Why have I never thought about this before? And it just, it just hit me out of the blue. A good farmer, a good farmer never plants his bread. And a good farmer never eats his, he never eats his seed. Now, how many of you are fasting from bread right now? I'm going to make you feel really bad. You know when that bread's hot and it comes right out of the oven? You put a little butter on it, you know, and you get a little bit of that honey on it. Oh, baby, that's good, isn't it? I never said I had the gift of mercy. I never said that as your pastor. I love you, but I'm low on mercy, okay? That hot bread coming out of the oven, I, I could make a meal at Cafe Pont. Just go to Cafe Pont and just eat their bread. No farmer plants his bread. And no smart farmer ever eats his seed. What's the difference? You have seed and you have bread. Let's talk about bread first. In your lane, in your race, and by the way, you see, your race is so different because some of you started with more, some of you started with less. Some of you inherited good stuff, some of you were behind the eight ball. Some of you were late bloomers, some of you were early adopters. It doesn't matter, but it matters how you run your race. It doesn't matter how you start, but it doesn't matter how you progress. 
And so now, in your life, no matter where you are, you've got seed and you've got bread. And the bread, you get to eat your bread. And there's nothing wrong with a new this or a shinier this or a bigger this or a faster that. That's your bread. Why would you feel guilty about your bread? It's God's blessing to you. God has blessed you with bread. Why wouldn't you enjoy your bread? It's foolish to let your bread mold. It's foolish to let your bread just stay in the cabinet. Why, why? So, so why as Christians are we all the time, you know, I don't know about this. You know, you've got bread, enjoy it. Now, you've also got seed. And your seed is your giving and your seed is your saving. And you're just a foolish farmer if you don't give and if you don't save. Because that seed provides more bread that you now have more options and opportunities to do with. Now, even if, you're, even if you and I are in the same lane, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room. You may want to eat a little bit more of your bread, or you may take some of your bread and buy some assets with it and save some of it or give some of it. There, there's a little bit of wiggle room within your lane. But everybody has to figure out, what do I do with my seed? And what do I do with my bread? I can't help you with this. Well, great, he's such a helpful pastor. He makes me want to eat the hot bread that I'm fasting from, and he's not very helpful. I, I can't do that for you. You have to pray about this and ask God what God wants you to do. But you've got seed, and you've got bread, and you have to figure out how to leverage both of those, and you've got one shot at this. You've got one life to live with your seed and with your bread. So I I wish I could take all the stories of Jesus, the 2,352 verses, but I'm only going to share with you now five quick stories. And I want to go from myopic to big picture. We're going to go big picture. We're just going to look at five. We could look at 105 today, and you'd miss the kickoff. But I'm just going to do five today because I, I just want you to see some of the big picture. And here's what we sometimes do. We take one of these passages and then camp out on it, and we don't take the collectiveness of what he's trying to say. You've got seed. You've got bread. You'd be foolish to eat your seed. And you'd be pretty unnecessary to waste your bread. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. This one story alone... There's like 50 different pieces of application. We camp out on the poor lady here who gave her two copper coins, and and Jesus was impressed with her faith. Let me tell you, without these rich people, the temple would never have worked. There were over a 1,000 workers in this temple every single day on the payroll, a 1,000. There's over 6,000 6,000 Pharisees alone. And I don't know how many Sadducees there were. We're not really sure about that. But Jesus isn't saying he can't be wealthy. He's just got a story to tell you about, about faith. Because if it wasn't for the wealthy, this whole temple sacrificial system and all the different incense and things they were doing, it would never have worked. Very interesting to think this through. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. 
And all the people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. I can't wait to meet this lady, can you? I can't wait to see how God blessed her abundantly with her faith. It's not against rich people. He's not for poor people. He's saying this is about faith. And it's the faith that you have with your seed and with your bread. Can can you enjoy your bread? And can you plant your seed? Another story. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality. They're setting Jesus up, right? They're trying to trip Jesus up. It's a great story because Jesus is not going to be tripped up. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We got Jesus. We got him. We got him. There's no way he can get out of this. He saw through their duplicity. That'd be a good SAT word, wouldn't it? Duplicity. He saw through their duplicity. And he said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. And so Jesus said, then give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. It's the lordship. You solve the lordship issues. You don't have integrity issues. You don't solve the lordship issues. You will have pain and integrity the rest of your life. It's unnecessary, totally unnecessary. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. When you're in the presence of Jesus, it's better just not to talk a whole lot. (laughs) Right? It's best just to keep your mouth shut. All right? Another story. These are all in Luke. And I started in Luke 21. I'm going backwards. I love how they go backwards every once in a while. So we started in Luke 21, then 20, then 18, and we're going backwards. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, but since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm going to try that sometime. I am really hungry, and I'm coming to your house to eat today. It probably won't work for me, but it worked for Jesus, all right? So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions. Now, we miss, we miss the meal. We miss the teaching. We miss the five or six hours that Jesus has spent in his life, but we get the point. We get the conclusion of the story. And now he repents. He's cheated all these people. They hate this guy. No integrity. He's a scoundrel. But he meets Jesus. And now he's got a race to run. And now he's got a lane to run in like never before. And we see the demonstrativeness of his repentance because now the only thing he can really do is help all the people he's cheated. So he goes back and he starts, you know, knocking on their door and they think, oh no, Zacchaeus wants more money. And he shows up at the door and he says, hey, you know, I cheated you out of a thousand, here's four thousand bucks. And they're like, they all all fell over dead probably. They were just shocked that he did this. I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Layered with application. Layered 
with levels, layered with stories that are in this one little story, one little story. So you got to be careful when you do all this about money, or you're going to end up on that corner, or you're going to end up on that corner, and you got to look at the whole. you got to look at all this. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good but God alone. It's a sermon right there. It's lordship. Am I God? Are you calling me God? The guy wasn't calling him God. The guy wanted to self-righteously make it about himself. He wanted to show Jesus how great he was. That's always a bad idea to buck up to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus said. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your parents. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, what's he doing? He's saying, I've earned this. I've earned my way to eternal life. I've earned my way into the kingdom. And he's got his chest out, and he's about as arrogant as arrogant can be. Hmm. Jesus heard this. He said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Because Jesus knew he wasn't Lord. Jesus knew this man's money was his Lord. It's not how much money you have, it's what has you. Okay? Now, this is probably my favorite story on money. And it took me 20 years to understand. And if you don't get it today, don't worry about it. You got 19 and a half more years to figure this out. But it took me 20 years to figure this story out. And I'm going, it's Jesus, so it's true. It's in the Bible, so it's right. It's up here, and my understanding's down here. So there's a gap, so i got to figure this out because it can't be Jesus. It's got to be me. So catch this story. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called in the dishonest manager, and he asked him, What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Because the word on the street is you're taking money. You're pilfering money. You're not being honest. You're not being the right kind of guy. So the word on the street is you're done. He calls him in. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here... People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? Well, we owe you 900 gallons of olive oil. So the dishonest manager then cuts the bill in half. He says, the manager told him quickly, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And the guy's going, Harriet, quick, get the checkbook. Let's write him a check before he, you know, before he changes his mind. This is like too good to be true because he owes this much, but the bill's only going to be this much. Then he asked the second one, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, well, take your bill and, and make it 800. Now, if you've never read this story before, you would assume the next verse out of Jesus' mouth is, shame on you, dishonest manager. Right? If you've... I mean, that's what I would think. Jesus has a different point. He has a whole different application that he's trying to make right now that's just mind-boggling, and it affects you 
and your lane and your race. Here's what Jesus says. The master then commended the dishonest manager. What? The master's going, son of a gun, you got me. The, the, the master's like smiling and grinning and going, I didn't see that coming. Wow. And you and I are going, how does that make sense? He cheated him. Well, Jesus has a point that's bigger than what we might understand. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So that's a clue. You begin to circle the word shrewdly because Jesus is going to make a point here that you should be really shrewd with your money. And believers should be really wise and really understand how to leverage their money. And Jesus is trying to make the point that you've got a little bit of bread and a little bit of seed and you need to be shrewd. Because it impacts your friends, your family, your culture. It impacts everybody around you. The master committed the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then here's the punchline. This is Jesus. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And Jesus is making a point that even non-believers know that money opens doors. Even non-believers know when they give gifts or they love people or they do something that it brings goodwill. He's going, why aren't the people of the light figuring this out? And then Jesus says this. He says, use worldly wealth. What? And the whole point of this story is you've got a little bit of seed and you've got a, maybe a lot more bread, and how will you use that to open up doors and windows in people's lives? And I've discovered that when you do things for other people, and you love them, and you bless them, and you minister to them with no strings attached, I don't want anything from you. I have something for you. Man, the the windows and the doors and the gospel, just the lights come up. And so Proverbs teaches us this. Proverbs teaches us to glorify God with all your wealth. That's all your seed, and that's all your bread. In your lane, running your race. Again, don't look at other people's lanes. Don't, don't look at her race. Don't look at his race. I don't care what your race is. I don't even care what lane you're in. I got my own lane to be in. I got my own race to run. I got to focus on my race and my lane. That's what's important. Not anybody else's. Who cares what anybody else says? That's called envy and coveting. And I ain't got enough emotional capital to worry about you. I got to worry about us as much. So he says, glorify God with your wealth. Honor him with your very best. With every increase that comes to you, then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings. See, that's the lordship. When the lordship question has been asked and answered, that's when things fall into place for you. So, um, the last 18 years... I call my parents every Sunday afternoon. They're in Indianapolis, Indiana. They're loyal Colts fans also. 
In fact, after Dad retired from General Motors, he actually worked for the Colts for 18 years. It's a, it's a great story. He just loved working for the Colts. But I call him every Sunday afternoon. I've done that now for 18 years, and I want to be a good son, and I'm not there, and I always feel bad about not being there, but they're in good health. They're doing well. And my brother's about 45 minutes away, so he's great with them and checks in on them, and that's good. But I, I call him every Sunday afternoon. So after like this, I go home and eat and take a nap that's about 12 minutes, and I wake up drooling. I don't know who I am, and I don't know where I am. It's a great nap at that point. But I, I wake up, and then my Sunday afternoon gig is I get, you take the cars to the gas station, fill up both cars for the week, and call my parents on the trips back and forth and talk to them while I'm doing that. So at, at Thanksgiving, and my birthday is always like the day before, the day after Thanksgiving. And so my, on my birthday and Thanksgiving, um, the girls, uh, Danita and the girls, always give me, you know, some kind of cologne. And I just go through cologne like you wouldn't believe. Because I believe if you're going to use cologne, you need to get it on you. I, I just, I, I, I'm an all or nothing guy with cologne. And so if I've got it on, they can smell it from here to McDonald's. If I don't, you don't. But I, I'm, I'm just spraying it, you know. So I go through a bottle pretty quickly. So anyway, Danita got me a bottle of, of something. And I don't even, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy. I don't care. It just smells all right. So I go to the gas station, called my folks, gassed up one car. And now I'm going back to do the second car, her car. And um, 20-year-old behind the counter. And I'm getting a thing of unsweet tea and paying for some gas or whatever. And he said, um, what, what's your cologne? <laughs> I've never had a guy ask me that question before. So I'm not exactly sure where this is headed, okay? I'm not, I'm not sure where this is going. But, but he had a puzzled look on his face. And so I said, um, you know, I don't know. But if you want me to find out, I, I will. And then my wife bought it for me for my birthday, you know, a couple days ago. And I said, but why? Why, why do you want to know? Because I could tell there was more to the story than I like your cologne, dude. And he said, um, you smell just like my dad. I said, and then, you know, as a preacher, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a light going off in my brain. And I said, um, what happened to your dad? He said, well, we're, we're Coptic Christians from Cairo. And he said, 10 years ago, the Muslim Brotherhood took over. Do you remember that? The Muslim Brotherhood took over, and he said he gunned down my dad. My dad was a police officer in Cairo, and they killed him. And we fled the country. We fled, and we now came to the United States. And, and um, I mean, the, the young man was just a great young man with a great heart, great work ethic, trying to do a good, a good thing. And uh, I said, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. And he has no idea that I'm a preacher. I'm in shorts, flip-flops. I, you know, once you tell people you're the preacher, it's the kiss of death, you know, and they don't want to talk to you. So I, I never tell people that. He doesn't know that I'm a preacher this day. So I, I, I leave that, and I'm going, okay, okay. So I, I, he works only on weekends. And so like two weekends later, same story in there, and I told him the name of it. I said, hey, I found out the name of that cologne. And I said, tell me more about your dad. And he starts telling me about his mom and his family, and they're here now, and just happy, you know, and he's working, he's doing the best he can. 
And um, I, I walked out of there, and, and the Holy Spirit's like all over me. And now I can't figure out what to do because it's tricky. It's tricky. Do I, do I buy him a bottle of the cologne and give it to him? Or is that going to remind him of his dad's death every single time he wears it? Do I give him the money for it and let him then go decide what he wants to do? See, see it's tricky. And I'm not going to tell you what I did. Because yesterday, it was the moment. Had a wedding here. Afterwards, had this all planned out. And he was working there. And so I did what I wanted to do. And the tears just start coming down his face. And he just, he was, he was overwhelmed with gratitude. And I said to him, I'm not telling you what I'm going to do because see, that's not your race. That's not what you're supposed to, you're not supposed to do what I do. You're supposed to do what God tells you to do. You've got seed and you've got a little bit of bread and you're supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do. So I'm not going to tell you what I did. But I kept, t- so he, he comes around the counter, man. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And I, I just said to him, so I, I want you to know, it's really not for me. I really didn't have much choice in all this. When you told me about your dad, I said, I said, your heavenly father loves you so much. This is from your heavenly father. And when we love people and we don't want anything from them, we only want something for them, it opens doors. This kid can't do anything for me. This kid can't give me anything. It's not that we're trying to do that to get something from people. We're trying to be shrewd with our money. We leverage our resources. We leverage everything that we have. We leverage everything that we are. We have a king, and there's a kingdom, and we serve this king. And so we just learn to be sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit who just keeps teaching us and telling us, and it's tricky. I can't tell you how tricky this is because I'm arguing with myself, and I'm arguing with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes I'm not sure that I'm even doing the right thing. It's tricky. But you have a race to run. And you've got one life. You have one life to live. And you've got seed and you've got bread. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, teaching you, telling you what to do. May you run your race with passion and with vigilance. May you run your race really, really well as you serve him. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. The issue is always the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Christ is always the place to start. It's always the place to begin. And if you've never made him the Lord of your life, our prayer partners are going to be down front today. They will help you. They will walk through the, the they will walk with you through this. And this is the place to begin. I want to encourage you. Think about your bread. Think about your seed. Invest, give, and plant, and eat wisely. You're the king, and we adore you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.